This episode is the second of two parts about what makes for a culture of trust in an organization. It talks about what it feels to have a culture of trust, what are the symptoms, and how they correlate to trust. The previous episode was the first part. It talked about the vertical components, autonomy and accountability, or their opposites, bureaucracy and CYA. This episode talks about the horizontal component, the ability to hold a constructive disagreement. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 7 of The Trust Show. I'm your host, Yoram Solomon, a researcher of trust and the author of The Book of Trust. This is an educational podcast, and I will challenge you to think differently about trust through the eight laws of trust and the six components of trustworthiness. I will share my own stories, experiences of others, trust research, and sometimes simply reflect on a news item. Through all of those, I will show you how to build trust, be trusted, and know who to trust. Because the answer to these two questions will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? And can you trust me? One day I was visiting Einstein Brothers, uh, the bagel store, uh, for lunch. And as I got there, I noticed two Israelis sitting by the window at the side and arguing. Now, they were arguing pretty passionately and they started raising their voices and raising their voices. And pretty soon they started using their outside voices. And, you know, it it got a little uncomfortable. And then I noticed that other people around them started moving away, creating some kind of a demilitarized zone around them. But being the other person in that restaurant that can actually understand what they say, because I speak and understand Hebrew, what I realized was that their argument, as passionate as it was, was professional. It was not personal. They were not insulting each other. They were not hurting each other's feelings. This was not irrational. This was a pure professional argument. They did not agree on something, and they were arguing their points. And I thought to myself... This is beautiful. I mean, their ability to be so passionate, to try to come up with an answer to what appeared to be a professional issue at their work, but still be friends. Because I do believe that nothing hurt their friendship after that. Why can't we do that? So I did a survey at some point, and uh, I asked people what do they feel about... uh, holding a disagreement altogether, not not just constructive, but holding a disagreement, disagreeing with other people. And I gave them several options, and three of those options were people who believe that disagreement is unproductive. When you disagree with somebody else, it's unproductive. People who don't feel comfortable disagreeing with another person at, at the office, at the organization, or people who avoid disagreement altogether. Of course, there are two options of people who thought that uh, they can disagree and stay friends, they can passionately disagree, and it doesn't hurt their their relationships, and it is productive. The results were astounding, at least to me. In a low-trust organization, the number of people who said that disagreement is unproductive, they don't feel comfortable disagreeing, or they avoid disagreement altogether, was 10 times higher 
than people who said the same about this agreement in a high trust organization. It was 61% versus 6%. Well, if this is constructive disagreement, what are the alternative to constructive disagreement? And actually there are two alternatives here that, that I can identify. The first one is destructive disagreement. Destructive disagreement happens typically when there is no trust. You don't trust the other person and you need to make a point and it doesn't matter, all the means justify the end. You argue in a very personal way, you attack the other person, the other person most likely attacks you back. This becomes emotional and you know that we're when we're emotional, we don't think clearly, we, we don't think productively. This, this, this agreement becomes irrational. We bring up arguments that really don't make sense just so that we make a point, just so that we win a disagreement. A destructive disagreement happens when there is no one plus one equals three. This is not a win-win disagreement. This is a I win, you lose. This is a zero-sum game disagreement. And obviously, it is highly unproductive. But not only that destructive disagreement happens when there is no trust, holding a destructive disagreement destroys trust. It is, once again, a reciprocal, a reciprocal, a cyclic dis, uh, relationship. People are hurting us on purpose. And when people hurt us on purpose, guess if we trust them more or less? Yes, we trust them less. A holding a destructive disagreement destroys trust. Another alternative to the constructive disagreement is the politically correct disagreement. And yes, if, if you send some sarcasm in my voice, uh, you are correct. What is a politically correct disagreement? It is when we don't say what we mean. You know, we say what we believe is the right thing to say, but it's not the right thing because it's right. It's the right thing because maybe there is an organizational policy that says these are the type of things that you should say. This is what you should not talk about. These are words that you should not use. These are trigger words that you should not use. As a result, we're afraid to engage. We just don't engage in, in a disagreement. We try to avoid it. And this, by the way, is again why 61% of my participants said that uh, they believe that disagreement is unproductive. They don't feel comfortable disagreeing. They avoid disagreement altogether. We're afraid to engage. It starts because there is not enough trust. You know, if you need to make a point and you don't trust the other person that they're going to take it in the spirit in which you said it, they're going to take it at face value. They're going to take it as a personal, as a professional argument. If you don't trust them with that and you think that they're going to take it the wrong way, that they might take it personally, they might become emotional and irrational, they might become unproductive or something, because of that, because you don't trust them, that you're going to avoid disagreeing or or if you're forced to have a disagreement because you're in a meeting and, and you have to disagree, you're going to do it in some kind of a politically correct way. 
One of the things that happens when when you hold politically correct uh, disagreements is that you have the meeting before the meeting, the meeting after the meeting, just not the meeting during the meeting. You know, this is when you try and close everything before you ever ever entered the meeting, which means that you really avoided the debate. You know, you talk to one person, another person, and you agreed on something. And when you walk into the meeting, you already know what the outcome is going to be because you're so afraid to disagree during that meeting. You have the meeting after the meeting. So during the meeting, you don't really reach conclusions. You don't take action. You don't make decisions. And even if you do make decisions outside of the meeting, after the meeting, you go and you change them. You you meet with one or two other people and, and you change those decisions. You just don't have the real debate, the real argument during the meeting. And by the way, holding politically correct disagreements also reduces trust. Again, that reciprocal cyclic relationship between uh, holding a disagreement and the level of trust. It reduces trust. People are not saying what they mean. And if people are not saying what they mean in a meeting, do you trust them? No. People are not doing what they say. So you're sitting with someone in a meeting, you agree, they say something, and then after the meeting, they do something else. Will you trust them? No. People are talking behind you, behind your back. You know, they don't say it to your face during the meeting. They're trying to avoid the conflict, the confrontation. So they're going to say one thing in the meeting, but then you hear from other people what they said about you behind your back. Will that make you trust them more? No. Now, I want to be clear about one thing. When I say politically correct disagreement, and I sound sarcastic, and I really don't like being politically correct, it's really a matter of definition. Uh, And to me, the opposite of being politically correct is not being rude and disrespectful. It's really just saying what you mean and meaning what you say and and not being mean when you say it. It's, It's holding a meeting with trust. It's arguing about the real things. It's not having the meeting before the meeting and the meeting after the meeting. It's having the meeting during the meeting always only. So being politically correct is not the opposite of being rude and disrespectful and vice versa. Being rude and disrespectful is not the alternative for politically correct or, or a politically correct disagreement. I wrote about that in one of my books in 2018 uh, that I wrote uh, together with Lori Van. And Lori Van is a uh, teen non-suicidal self-injury expert and psychology and therapist. And, and she also deals with, uh, with suicide uh, among teens. And uh, we collaborated on writing this book. The subtitle of the book was uh, How Political Correctness Kills Creativity, Productivity, and Children. So there are dangers with with holding politically correct disagreement or or just the the level of political correctness we have. But but I'm I'm going down a rabbit hole right now. To me right now, the the issue is that you want to hold a constructive disagreement the alternatives are the destructive disagreement or the politically correct disagreement. Either one of those two are created because there's not trust, but they also hurt trust. Hopefully, I demonstrated that a constructive disagreement is something very valuable uh, that's built on trust, and, and I showed you the correlation between that and trust, and that builds trust as a result. But what are the components of constructive disagreement? And I found that there are three components, vulnerability, feedback, and receptivity. 
I'll talk more about feedback and receptivity in a future episode and the relationship between them and trust. Right now, I'll talk a little about vulnerability. You need to be willing to be vulnerable with another person. Uh, being vulnerable, really what I mean is your your willingness to ask stupid questions and not worry about why and what would another person sitting in that meeting do with that those questions. I mean, nobody wants to hear behind their back that somebody sitting with you in the meeting said, uh, hey, you know what Yoram asked in that meeting? <laughs> Yoram asked the stupidest question ever. Being vulnerable is suggesting stupid ideas. Being vulnerable is saying, I don't know. Being vulnerable is saying it was my fault. Being vulnerable is saying, that's on me. And can you help me? These are the things that that make you vulnerable. And it's really helpful to create a constructive disagreement because you really say what you mean. You ask stupid questions. You suggest stupid ideas. Uh, By the way, one of my pet peeves is this statement. When you ask that question, can I ask a stupid question? When you say that, can I ask a stupid question? What What is the answer you typically get? There is no such thing as a stupid question. Yes, there is. 80% of my, at least 80% of my questions are stupid questions. So yes, there are stupid questions. And the thing is that a constructive disagreement that's based on vulnerability allows you to ask stupid questions. When I say vulnerability, I mean voluntary vulnerability. And I want to emphasize that. And and actually, when I went from uh, the first edition to the second edition of the Book of Trust, I added in the definition for vulnerability, voluntary vulnerability. The reason for that is one day I was meeting someone at the restaurant and I was waiting for them to arrive. And while I was waiting, I noticed that on the side, there were two people one of them was interviewing the other person. The interviewer was a male. Uh, the the interviewee uh, th- that appeared to be a job applicant uh, to a job that uh, that manager uh, was hiring for, she appeared to be pregnant. And uh, he was trying, the manager, the hiring manager, I felt was trying to maybe become friendly and, uh, you know, try to be informal, which is great, by the way. Friendliness and informally, informality is great, but you also need to worry about to, to worry about the level of trust that already exists. And I promise you, I will talk about that later. The relationship between how vulnerable you can be, how direct you can be, and, and so on, related to the level of trust that already exists and what will the impact of that be on trust. But as I said, I'll talk about that in a later episode. For now, what I noticed was that trying to be friendly, trying to be informal, he was asking her questions about her pregnancy. I looked at her and I looked at her body language. I hope I wasn't creepy uh, looking at them uh, because I was sitting not too far from them. I could actually hear. And I could tell she was answering his questions, but she was not comfortable with it. She was being vulnerable in answering the questions, but she was not being vulnerable in a voluntary way. And that was, in my opinion, it was inappropriate. You know, I'm, I'm, you already know that I am in favor and, and very strong supporter of being vulnerable and being very direct, but you have to worry about, is this the right time? Uh, do we have a strong enough relationship to be vulnerable, to have uh, to give feedback and, and be receptive to, to feedback? And um, 
So when I talk about vulnerability, I'm talking about you voluntarily willing to be vulnerability and not somebody forcing you to be vulnerable in any situation. So I already said several times that these things are reciprocal with trust. And uh, in my studies, uh, one thing that I did was uh, correlated trust to the different components of culture at the higher level. Uh, so the autonomy, accountability, constructive disagreement, and at the lower level of uh, voluntary, uh, voluntary vulnerability, feedback and receptivity. So the only one component that I didn't really correlate was accountability. So I'll skip accountability. But in terms of autonomy, what I found and everything that, that I'm talking about but here I found with a high statistical significance. So when I correlated them, it wasn't that, that I could see a general trend. I actually measure, measured the statistical significance of the correlation. I'm not going to say that this survey, I did that survey at the PhD dissertation level to be approved for a peer-reviewed journal, but it was still strong enough and, and very decisive. What I found was that a supervisor will give their employees autonomy 67% correlated with the level of trust that they have in those employees. So for every one standard deviation higher on the level of trust, you're going to have 0.67 standard deviation higher level of autonomy. On constructive disagreement, I found that uh, the the willingness to hold a constructive disagreement or answering the questions, we can disagree, but it's not personal, or we can passionately disagree and remain friends, went from 39%, remember, because 61% of people said that they don't feel comfortable disagreeing, they try to avoid disagreement altogether, and they think the disagreement is unproductive. So the willingness to hold a constructive disagreement went from 39% in low trust environment to 94%. That's an increase of 140%. People are more willing to hold a disagreement and don't think that it's personal and passionately disagree and still remain friends. Now, when I talk about the components that allow you to be constructively disagreeing or hold a constructive disagreement, vulnerability or willing to be vulnerable is 240% higher when you trust the other person or the people in that meeting uh, when you hold that constructive disagreement. 240% higher vulnerability because you trust the other person that they're not going to take what you said and misuse it or use it against you. Your willingness to give direct feedback to the other person is 106% higher if you trust the other person compared to if you don't trust them. Because otherwise, you're not going to give them feedback. If you're afraid that they're going to take their, your feedback wrong and, and it's going to come back to bite you, you're not going to give them feedback. So your willingness to give feedback is 106% higher in a high trust environment compared to a low, uh, low trust environment. And finally, receptivity. Your willingness to accept that kind of feedback is 76% higher when you trust the other person that they're giving you feedback to help you and not to make fun of you or hurt you or I don't know what. If you trust them that they're giving you that feedback to hurt you, uh, to help you, I'm sorry, absolutely not to hurt you. If they're giving, if you believe, if you trust that they're giving you that feedback, to help you, they have your best interest in mind when they give you feedback, you are 76% more receptive to that type of feedback. 
In summary, in the last two episodes, I talked about the culture of trust. What, what makes a culture of trust? You already know, and, and obviously you know from what I do and what I talk about, that trust is the foundation. To me, if you want to start working on, let's say, innovation, it's like starting to build a building from the second floor. You don't start building a building from the second floor. You, you don't even start from the first floor. Innovation, if innovation is the second floor or productivity is the second floor, then the culture that I talked about in the last two episodes is going to be the first floor. But you don't even start with the first floor. You start with the foundation and trust is the foundation. So you have trust as a foundation. On top of it, you build. Uh, let's start even with the behaviors. And the behaviors are the vulnerability, the willingness to be vulnerable, the willingness to give feedback, and the receptivity to feedback. On top of that, once you have those, again, built on trust, you have the culture of autonomy, accountability, constructive disagreement, as opposed to having bureaucracy, CYA, or destructive disagreement, or, or the politically correct disagreement. On top of that culture, this is when you start having creativity and innovation and productivity and effectiveness. And guess what you have on top of that? On top of that, you have business results. What would you like to know about trust and trustworthiness? Let me know and I'll make sure to answer it or find the answer to it in a future episode. I would love to hear from you. Email me at yoram at thetrustshow.com. That's Y-O-R-A-M at thetrustshow.com. If you like this podcast episode, subscribe to the show so you will automatically get new episodes. Rate it. Write a review for this podcast because those ratings would help others who are looking for a podcast just like this. If you're looking for more resources to learn about how to build trust, be trusted, or know who to trust, look up my online course at trustedatwork.com. Find my books on Amazon or go to my website, yoramsolomon.com. And remember one thing, the answer to these two questions will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? And can you trust me? Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.